You're listening to the Women as in Art podcast, and I am your host, Leah Schrager. I am super excited to talk to you today. Let me start by reading your bio and then we'll get into our discussion. Olivia Miller is the interim director and curator at the University of Arizona Museum of Art, UAMA. Am I saying that right? Yep. Great. Where she has worked since 2012, curating or co-curating more than 30 exhibitions. She has contributed scholarship for exhibition catalogs and regularly presents her research at academic conferences. As an arts educator, she has taught at the University of Arizona's Humanities Seminars Program, the Arizona State Prison Complex, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, and Pima County, Pima Community College. Her most recent exhibition is Restored, The Return of Woman Okra. Am I saying that right? Some people say ochre okra or okra. Yeah. Okay. 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 Which traces the incredible story of Willem de Kooning's stolen, recovered, and recently conserved painting. She is currently co-curating a solo exhibition of Dine, Weaver Dine. and Painter Marlo Dine, thank you. Yeah. Weaver and Painter. Marlo Catoni, which is supported by a grant from the Terra Foundation of American Art and will open at UAMA in October 2023. Um, yeah, welcome. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited um, to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Yay. Thank you. Um, well, I guess I'm definitely curious to hear about the William de Kooning story. Why don't you start with that? Oh, sure. Sure. It actually, I think it's kind of a nice segue um, into the, you know, some of the other issues we'll talk about. But um, basically, the the gist of the story is that um, this painting by Willem de Kooning, he completed it in 1955. It's part of his sort of infamous uh, woman series, and it was donated to our museum in 1958. And then it was stolen. during a pretty brazen daytime theft the day after Thanksgiving in 1985. Um, A couple entered the museum. They distracted the security guard and the man went upstairs and he sliced the painting from its frame, rolled it up, tucked it under his coat and walked out. Um, At the time, you know, we were a very small museum. Campus was smaller then. It was quiet. We had no security cameras at the time. And um, so it was a very quick and easy getaway for them. And and the painting, uh, we didn't know its whereabouts for almost 32 years until it turned up in New Mexico. So, um, you know, in 2015, we had done a public program at the museum where we hung up the empty canvas. We retold the story, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to get it out there on the news. And then two years later, it turned up in an estate sale and it was found by um, these men in Silver City who own a store. And so they called the museum and they wanted to return it. And um, and we're celebrating it now because it spent almost three years at the Getty um, in Los Angeles undergoing conservation treatment so Uh, it's finally back home that's Um, amazing yeah yeah. a happy ending definitely a very happy ending and one of the you know one of the interesting things um especially in light of your your podcast is um you know we're dealing with this 
incredible story of this painting, which in and of itself is a really bizarre painting. And, um, you know, Willem de Kooning has been critiqued a lot um, over the years about his woman series, about his relationships with women. Um, and so on the one hand, it feels very strange to be sort of celebrating this painting over and over and over in the way we have found it, um, while at the same time having to kind of um, understand it in a 21st century context. You know, it's it's a different world and we're a different museum. Um and, and there's a lot of new questions being asked right now. So, so I'm, I'm really excited that it's back because, you know, we're not afraid of having difficult conversations around the painting. And um, so anyway, it, it's so a what very are those exciting conversations? What are those conversations? What, what is coming up there? I mean, I think a lot of it are, is, is the issues that have been you know these these are not necessarily new questions in relation to Willem de Kooning's paintings. Um, you know when he first started exhibiting them in the early 1950s, a lot of people immediately thought you know these are violent depictions of women. These are misogynistic. You know he's slashing the canvas with his paintbrush, and you know what does that mean? What is he saying about women? Um, What's his inspiration for doing that? So these, you know, these are recurring questions that I think will continue to come up. Um, but also just in relation to, um, you know, it being a painting by a dead white male artist, you know, and, and this is a time when a lot of museums are kind of reckoning with their collections and thinking about who is represented and who isn't. Um, so, you know, those are kind of the main, the main topics. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I'm curious to hear about how you ended up at the museum. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much from Tucson. You know, I moved here. I, I was born in Fort Worth, but I moved here when I was 10. So um, I did my undergraduate degree here at the university and, um, you know, ended up leaving for grad school in Oregon. Um I didn't have a job lined up after grad school, so I did come back to Tucson, and I just kept working in nonprofit settings. You know, I was working at the Children's Museum. I was working at a dance company. Um, I was teaching at the community college, which I really enjoyed. Um, and But my degrees had all been in art history, so it was absolutely my goal to end up in an art museum. And um, and there was actually a part-time job that opened up at this museum as curator of education. And so that's how I started working here. And then, um, you know, it's been a really wonderful experience to be able to kind of evolve and grow with this institution. Can you tell me more about how how it has evolved and grown, how the museum has, how you have? Yeah, I mean, um, for, for me, Personally, you know, it was definitely, um, it, it was a hard situation at first to come out of grad school, um, realizing a lot of the skills that you actually don't have yet. <laughs> so you would, <laughs> you know, you would hope that after so many years of schooling that you kind of come out prepared and ready to enter the world. Um, but museums and nonprofits are... Um, are really interesting institutions that involve a lot of um, unique skills. And, and that includes, you know, sort of relationship building and working with boards and volunteers. Um, 
there's lots of nuances with budgets and grant writing and and those are those are kind of hard skills that you don't really learn in graduate school when you're trying to um also assert yourself as a as a scholar which is another skill that you need if you want to be a curator in a museum and so you know those first few years out of grad school were pretty tricky. You know, I was having to sort of piecemeal my experience together with a lot of um, low paying part time jobs. Um, but coming to this museum, you know, we're a fairly small museum by comparison to many others. We have a staff of 10. And for me, this is actually an ideal situation in some ways, because although, you know, we never feel like we have enough uh, people resources. <laughs> Um, on the other hand, you get to learn every single aspect of the way a museum runs mm-hmm. and you get to work closely with every single member of the staff. And that is how I've been able to grow in this position and realize, mm-hmm. um, you know, the aspects of, of museum work that I think I'm good at, that I that I like. Um, you get to realize all the challenges that come with it. And so, um you know, one of the biggest challenges with this particular museum is we have had a lot of turnover in the director position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, you know, a lot of our staff has kind of stayed on through all of that because we all believe really strongly in the mission. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, and how, I'm also curious how you feel the converse or how, what you feel like the place the museum is in Tucson how that kind of relates to the the city, the place of Tucson, and then also how that relates to like the larger global art scene. Yeah, I, th- it's, it is such a good question. And it's a question that at times we really know how to answer. And at other times we realize we don't. <laughs> yeah. And part of that is because um, Tucson's a really incredible city. Um, it, however, is a somewhat smallish city to have so many art museums coexisting um, and so many museums that are doing really incredible work. And, um, and for us, you know, we're, we're a university art museum. So we kind of have this twofold task where on the one hand, we need to make sure that we are a resource for faculty and staff here on campus. Um, at the same time, you know, the university very much considers us as a bridge to the wider community. And one of the ways, you know, the arts and athletics are kind of the two main ways that people from the surrounding community come into campus, um, you know, to participate in activities. And so we also have a particular service to to the larger community. Um, and then, you know, a kind of it, it circles out from there. But there's, you know, there's always a lot of work in making sure that you are, um, you know, working well with the other museums in town to make sure that we mm-hmm. all thrive. Um, but again, it's kind of a smallish population to support, you know, really four major arts institutions here on campus, really even five, if you kind of look at it. Um, and with only a population in the county of about a million, you know, that's kind of a large yeah. um a large number of museums, but I think that's partly what makes Tucson such a culturally vibrant city is that you do mm-hmm. get so many different types of museums. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I feel like I'm starting to ramble a bit. I'm not sure if I'm getting to yeah, the yeah. your question or not. Yeah. I think you are. I think you are. Um, what are, what are the five museums on campus? 
Um, well, there's three major art museums on campus. So mm -hmm. I'm at the University of Arizona Museum of Art. Um, so we collect mostly um, American and European and um, I guess you could say Latinx artwork, um, mm -hmm. roughly 13th through the 21st centuries. So, and we are an actively collecting museum. Mm -hmm. um, there's the Arizona State Museum, which is on our campus. Um, that started off as kind of an ethnographic natural history museum, um, but they've really kind of focused their collections on the artwork of Southwest indigenous cultures, um, particularly pottery and basketry. They're also a major archaeological repository um, for the state of Arizona. There's the Center for Creative Photography, which is also on our campus. They're across the street from us, and their collection is is mostly mostly 20th century American photography. But they are, you know, kind of actively working on um, how to kind of broaden their collections. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the three major arts museums yeah. on campus. And then in Tucson, we also have the Tucson Museum of Art, which is a really wonderful yeah. civic museum. Um, and then of course, uh, MOCA, um, which yeah. is not a collecting institution, but specializes right. in, in exhibiting the work of contemporary artists. So mm -hmm. it, there's really a lot going on in Tucson. Yeah, there is. Yeah. The, it's really awesome. Um, well, let me get into some of my more uh, usual questions because I really would like to hear what, um, yeah, what you, your thoughts on them. Um, what, oh gosh, where, where do I normally start? I can't remember. I have to look at my notes. Okay. What do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for women in art now? Um, in terms of challenges i think um i think there are inherent challenges for women in general um particularly in this country um not even just for artists you know we we live in a in a country that doesn't fully value women and we see that reflected in a number of ways um we see it reflected mm -hmm. in pay scales we see it reflected in um lack of support and care of mothers um you know, so there, there are these sort of inherent problems that I think any, any woman living in this country kind of has. Um, I think it's, it's still a pretty misogynistic society. Um, mm -hmm. And, and even for women who find themselves in important positions in the arts, I think we do need to be mindful of kind of internalized misogyny. Um mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that that's something that persistent. We also live in a country that really doesn't dedicate a lot of government support for the arts. And so mm -hmm. we are still um, in this again, you know, it's it's not just women, it's people in the arts in general. You know, museums mm -hmm. are still beholden to individual donors who very much mm -hmm. have their own priorities. They've collected mm -hmm. art in a particular way. They've seen museums in a mm -hmm. particular way. Um, mm -hmm. So I think all of this is to say is that we're you already have women in the arts who are kind of operating in this system that has inherent challenges um and and i think that that continues especially especially when a creative practice in and of itself is not a fully respected mm -hmm. endeavor in this mm -hmm. country and if you have women who are doing it mm -hmm. in a society that's already <laughs> rife with misogyny um i mean yeah. i think it, it makes it that much more challenging um yeah. i think I think the 
some of the good things happening, you know, in terms of opportunities is that there are more opportunities, you know, as much as it continues to be a struggle, you know, this is not the 1950s, although, you know, we are seeing some legislation <laughs> that, that makes one think we are, we are moving back in that kind of direction. But um, I mean, we, we are actively seeing more women in curatorial positions, more women in leadership roles in museums. We're seeing more women as professors of art. Um, so there, there truly is data there that is different from from the earlier days. So I do think there are opportunities there. And I think um, particularly when you have universities who are hiring women um, that in theory can serve as a mentorship for students who are interested in art and maybe previously didn't see themselves in an art program. If they can have an inspiring woman there in a professor position that can kind of lead them, you know, I, I would like to hope that these numbers continue to grow. Um, however, you know, there, there's still, um, nuances within that, you know, major art museums still don't have a lot of women at the top. And, and I think Mm -hmm. one thing we definitely need to not lose sight of is that there continue to be issues within, when we think about women as as a population, um, Mm -hmm. most of these are white women, you know, when I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of in Arizona in particular, you know, there are a lot of us who have been able to kind of work our way up, but there's still not a whole lot of diversity, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of race. And so I think there's still, well, it's really good to acknowledge the growth and opportunities, um, we still need to recognize that there's still an uneven playing field for many, and there continue to be kind of gaps there that we need mm-hmm. to actively work on. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I really like seeing in terms of opportunities, which I know you know probably aren't accessible to everyone right now, but it's really exciting to see major exhibitions happening at major mm-hmm. museums um, like at the we have a painting on loan uh, to the Jean Quick to See Smith exhibition that um, just opened at the Whitney and that's going to be traveling. Um, it'll be up. So um, if you're in New York, you can go visit the Whitney and visit our painting there. That's um, cool. <laughs> but yeah, so to see her retrospective, which is long overdue, really, mm-hmm. um, but to see that opening at the Whitney and then it'll travel mm-hmm. to the modern in Fort Worth and then the Seattle mm-hmm. Art Museum. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think things like that, I, I hope it's not a trend. You know, I, yeah. I hope these things, I mean, I hope it's not a, a short-term yeah. trend. I hope yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting to see things like that happening. How, I'm curious, you mentioned internalized misogyny, and I was curious if you could explain more what you mean by that. I mean, I guess I'm I'm saying it in a very general way, um, yeah. but I... I guess off the top of my head when, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if if political trajectories is is what you're interested in hearing about, but I cannot reconcile women who voted for Trump. And Mm -hmm. um, that right there is like the most inherent Mm -hmm. example I can think of in the present day and women who are continuing to stand by that. Um, So women who um, kind of vote against their own self-interests, um, in in the arts, you know, I, I, I'd like to hope that, I mean, there's obviously artists like you who have a podcast dedicated to discussing this. And in this way, um, you're creating a platform for women to discuss and women to 
support each other's work and, and have a place mm -hmm. to talk about it um, that isn't a site of competition or, mm -hmm. or kind of trying to hold the other one down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I fear that, that there's still issues like that. Um, but mm -hmm. I am speaking about it in a generalized way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, where and how do women find agency and empowerment in art? Um, well, again, I mean, I, I think your podcast is, is a oh. very obvious way. Um, <laughs> you yourself are an artist. Um, and then again, you're, you're creating this, this platform. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I, you know, I would like to hope it's empowering for you in a way, but also it's certainly empowering for others to, mm -hmm. you know, I was very honored to get this invitation. Like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for wanting to hear from me. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of the things that I really love in terms of art practice is when women kind of seize the traditional narrative and subvert it in whatever way they think is meaningful to them. And women have been doing it a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we could talk about Artemisia Gentileschi um, mm -hmm. with her Judith paintings. We could talk mm -hmm. a, about, um, you know, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, you know, she may be still painted sort of traditional portraits, but I mean, a lot of them are portraits of women. So even just mm -hmm. um, kind of women telling their own story, um, I think artists like, you know, Cindy Sherman, um, artists like Micheline Thomas, you know, people who take sort of traditional paintings that have been, or guises of women or roles of women, and they do, mm -hmm. they put their own spin on it. I think, um, that's cool. I, I love that. And I think it's very empowering because it doesn't push those conversations away. It doesn't take them out of sort of the visual culture, but mm -hmm. it questions them and it critiques them. And, mm -hmm. and those, those types of practices I find really empowering. Yeah, that's, that's super, that's really cool. Um, can you tell me, I don't know as much, I know the last two people who you mentioned, but the Judith paintings and then the second one you mentioned, I don't know so much about. Could you uh, talk a little sure. more about those? Yeah. So um, uh, Artemisia Gentileschi, um, she was mm -hmm. a Baroque artist. Um, her father was also a painter, Orazio Gentileschi, and he worked with um, Caravaggio. So she... Mm -hmm. um, was definitely kind of influenced that by that um, sort of dramatic use of light and dark. And um, a lot of people have interpreted her Judith paintings in direct relation to, you know, a really horrible sexual assault that she experienced. Mm -hmm. um, that was a very public sexual assault because it, it did go to trial and she had to testify and that court document still survives. Um, but her Judith paintings, you know, I, I am... I do, I mean, it, it's hard, you know, I try to be cautious about how much do you explore the artist's biography, you know, in certain cases, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's essential to understanding their work. In other cases, I think it can sometimes overshadow their work because you get so mm -hmm. caught on the trauma. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, yeah. for me personally, people can certainly disagree. I, her Judith paintings are so powerful. Mm -hmm. And so different from what her contemporaries are doing that it is mm -hmm. really hard to think that they aren't in some ways related to that trauma. Um, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, she was an 18th century artist. Um, and she, so 
first of all, just these two women alone being artists yeah. at the time periods they were living in, that <laughs> yeah. alone is um, almost an impossible scenario. Artemisia, yeah. certainly her father was an artist. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this is at these time periods, they kind of had to have a male figure mm-hmm. in their life who could allow these doors to open for them because otherwise mm-hmm. they, you know, they just weren't open for women. Um, yeah. But Elizabeth V.J. Lebrun, she ended up becoming the painter of Marie Antoinette um, Mm. and painted a number of portraits of that queen. And then during Mm. the French Revolution, um, V.J. Lebrun, she had to flee France because of her associations Mm. with the court. Um, But she continued to paint in exile and and had a really incredible career and lived into her 80s, wrote her own autobiography. And um, that's still you know, you can still find copies of it today. And, um, and so I, I think, you know, those are two kind of really exceptional that's so women. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's just amazing. Um, yeah, I've heard, I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk about women at that time were more models in the artwork of right male artists. Um, so yeah, to actually be the artist is, is very impressive. Um, yeah, and then, but yeah. it's funny because, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, and they both painted self-portraits. You know, a lot of scholars oh, have argued wow. that Artemisia's portraits of Judith, they do have a uh-huh. resemblance to her. And Elizabeth V.J. Lebrun absolutely painted self-portraits. So also um, wow. being able to have the power of turning, you know, the canvas onto themselves is at a time, as you mentioned, when women were typically the models. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. that, that's pretty special. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. The self-portrait. Sure. I actually, there's someone else who I had on the podcast and I asked her this question. So we were talking about craft art and, um, sort of trying to define it. And I asked her if a selfie can be considered craft art. Um, I'm curious what you think of that question. That's, that's a great (laughs) question. Um, I mean, I think, I think, yes. I mean, I, I have a pretty broad <laughs> definition of what I think art can be. And um, mm-hmm. just to go back to your question about challenges and opportunities, I mean, I think the ubiquity of having a camera and being able to fashion yourself in any way you want mm-hmm. um, and being able to duplicate that and to be able to put it somewhere, you know, you're, mm-hmm. we now have artists who are not beholden to museums and galleries necessarily, yeah. like absolutely, you know, I work at a museum. Like I believe me, I value museums. I value galleries. At the same time, we also know that there are a lot of problems and there continue to be a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that there are more outlets for Mm -hmm. artists in general, but in Mm -hmm. particular women to be able to put their art out there Mm -hmm. and, and to be able to do it on their own terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, it is super amazing. And that reminds me of uh, um, something that someone, a guy who wrote for CultureBot once said to me, which was that the thing is, though, if you do um, art outside of the museum, so you're taking, you're making money, right? So the transaction is happening outside the museum, then not, the question isn't, is, is not, is it not then art the question is more than is it not then as respected which you know I guess 
I'm kind of answering my own question, but it tends to be less respected, right? But there, but maybe that's maybe soon or maybe even now that's not as important. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think in some cases it's a mat. Well, I mean, it's so it's so convoluted because there's always yeah. like exceptions to the rule. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who don't respect Jeff Koons, but he's in lots of museums, you know, and yeah. he has no problem right. selling his art and duplicating right. it and replicating it. And, you know, really, this mm-hmm. is a practice that has been around mm-hmm. for centuries. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like I mentioned Caravaggio earlier. There is a painting of a fortune teller, and he depicted an almost identical composition again because someone liked it and he knew he could sell it. So, you know, and now (laughs) when we look back upon that, you know, we see that, you know, um, there are other artists who kind of had major, major workshops where they had assistants who were churning out Mm -hmm. artwork and making duplicates of their work. And when we look back on them as art historians, it's like, oh, that, you know, like we don't we don't cast them in the same kind of critical light now as we do nowadays with Mm -hmm. artists selling their work. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So in some ways I think a hundred years from now, people will look back and be like, yeah, this was normal practice and it's Mm -hmm. fine, (laughs) but it Mm -hmm. doesn't really help for the people living in the present moment who are trying Mm -hmm. to build a Mm -hmm. career and build respect around their art. Yeah. 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 That's very well said. Yes. Yeah. Very well said. Um, how has the, well, we've kind of been talking about this already, but I'll ask it again or in a different way. How has the place of women in and or as art changed over time and across different media? Um, I mean, I think um, you mentioned the, the concept of craft earlier. To me, I think there there does seem to be a resurgence. Um, and again, I kind of like this idea of we're taking it back, you know, you criticized Uh it and we're going to take it back and we're going to show you all the amazing things we can do with it. So Mm -hmm. to me, it seems, you know, just with kind of a cursory glance, it seems like, um, fiber arts and other media Mm -hmm. that have been kind of traditionally, you know, relegated as craft. I, I, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of artists who are kind of returning to those very tangible physical mediums again. Um, I think it's really interesting to have to reconcile those very textile and tactile mm-hmm. approaches to art making with mm-hmm. avenues like Instagram, you know, where you mm-hmm. are able to share your art and put it out there, but there's still this very sort of physical aspect of the art that that doesn't necessarily translate. Um, so I think I think those sorts of things are, are pretty interesting to think about. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of AI art? Have you been oh paying attention? <laughs> I mean, not in, I mean, sort of, I guess I can't yeah. fully, um, I guess I can't fully wrap my head around it. Um, yeah. You know, in, in some ways I want to automatically be like, oh, that's not art. But there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, why isn't it? You know, why can't it be? Um I, I guess the, you know, the, the thing that I worry about is there are living artists who are making great work and we don't necessarily need AI to come in and kind of muck up, <laughs> muck up the things that are already happening, you know? So I worry about mm-hmm. it kind of coming in and diluting mm-hmm. and um, when there are real, real people behind art making that, that need to be supported. Right, right. 
But how, I also don't how... fully understand AI art. So okay, yeah. I mean, me too. I'm still learning. I'm I'm yeah. I'm actually really intrigued by it right now. But um, that's why I bring it up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still learning what it is too. How long has it been going on? Do you know? <laughs> like, how long I, has this I, AI art been going on? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think anytime there's a new technology that enters the art mm-hmm. world, there's a bit of freak out, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, we saw it in the 19th century with photography. We saw it again yeah. with digital photography. Yes. I mean, there's always kind of this fear that any sort mm-hmm. of new technology is going to replace the hand of the artist. Um, mm-hmm. When in reality, all of it is rooted in ideas to begin mm-hmm. with. And mm-hmm. I'm of the mind that new technology can, I'm kind of going back on what I said about AI, kind of taking the place of people, but the AI still comes from somewhere, I would hope, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's someone out there who's, who's using this tool and maybe it's just Mm -hmm. another tool to kind of add to the the artist toolbox. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, at least what I've been working with, which is stable diffusion, it's not that much different than like a more involved Photoshop process. It just makes it a lot easier a lot okay. quicker yeah and, but I mean there are lots of versions of it and I'm just um exploring that one yeah but it's pretty it's pretty cool it'll be fun to see well I'm glad it. you're exploring it and then you can yeah. educate me about it because I yeah. really don't know don't know much about it yeah yeah when did stable I think stable diffusion came out it was last year at some point but the cool thing and the cool thing about stable diffusion is it's really open source. You can use your own images. I tried to upload images from my um, Instagram. So like very closed images to mid journey. And they were just like, we don't take this content right off the bat, which is really, oh my gosh! even though I also, even though I own the content, you know, it is my right. content. So that was a really interesting, I don't know. I haven't quite finished parsing that out in my mind yet, but it was, yeah, it was kind of, it was pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, like I get it, but I don't get, uh, it's very, it's very complicated. <laughs> that's what you said. It's just very complicated. Yeah. It, yeah. So that's, so stable diffusion is very cool. Okay. <laughs> As I'm opposed to mid journey, which is already censoring, you know, is already censoring, but Anyways, okay. What is your take on the relationship between feminism and art? Um, I mean, I think, I I think, I think in some ways there's kind of an inherent connection. Um, I think when we think about all of the challenges that women have gone through and continue to go through, it's almost like this creative outlet has to be there in order Mm -hmm to survive the madness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I feel like there there's an absolute harmonious relationship between the two, uh, you know, and whether or not um, women feel like that's, that they're always making a feminist statement. I think many women are not. I think many women are, are doing things that are very different, but I think the very act mm-hmm. of doing, making art, putting it out there mm-hmm. in the public is such an empowering thing. And I think that's an act of feminism, um, mm-hmm. particularly if you're collaborating with other women or sharing the work with mm-hmm. other women. You know, I mean, I think that all kind of goes hand in hand in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that the body 
is necessarily political? Um, in this country, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I feel like, you know, um, I wish it didn't have to be, but it certainly mm-hmm. seems like it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. That's a good um, answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, I, I think when it comes to art making, I mean, yes, I mean, yes, it is, uh, because mm-hmm. you know, even aside from reproductive rights, I mean, race is such such an issue in this country with with racism um, that mm-hmm. it's absolutely, and that's part of the body. You know, it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. political. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can a woman just be art? Um, I, I think, I think so. Uh, I have, I have a, you know, I, I hope it's come through that I have a pretty broad view of what I, I think art can be because ultimately Mm -hmm. I do think it generates with an idea or a concept, even if it's sort Mm -hmm. of a, um, even if an artist begins making art with no preconceived notion in mind, it, it still mm-hmm. starts from the mind somewhere. Um, something's making oh, the nice. hand move. Or, um, I, in terms of a woman just being art, I think in some ways it's still kind of dependent on an interpretation. So mm-hmm. whether it's an individual woman herself saying, I am art, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I think absolutely she can be art because she's saying she's art and that that's Mm -hmm. an interpretation and that's her definition of art. So who, Mm -hmm. who is Mm -hmm. anyone else to kind of deny that? Um, But I think it's, it's kind of like that sort of, you know, if a tree falls in a forest sort of adage, you know, like I feel like it's kind of still contingent upon something else, whether it's the woman's opinion of herself or a society's definition of what art can be, Uh but sure. Yeah. That's a very lovely answer. Um, I guess, and then, okay, this is maybe weird, but if a woman, speaking of the tree, if a woman, if a woman says, I was, let's say, let's say, whatever, she's 30 now and she says, okay, when I was 20, that was art, but she didn't define it as art when she was 20. Is it art then? Oh, that's a good question. Or um, if she did, yeah, or or if she, yeah, well sorry, start with that. <laughs> oh. Um Yeah, that that time-based issue is interesting. Um mm-hmm. I I mean, I think I guess I guess um it depends. On, well, I don't want to keep saying it depends because then I'm just kind of going back That's to my okay. original answer, where it's like it <laughs> yeah. has to be contingent upon right, someone's right. opinion or something like that. I think. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I can. Answer yeah, that. That's okay. Um, yeah, I don't I'll know if I can either. Um, <laughs> and then I think I think similarly, it's funny because my mom said to me the other day like yesterday or two days ago, she was like, what does that question even mean? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, it's like a weird question, but like I'm so, for some reason interested in it. And I think, I think part of it is this idea that like, 
like, a, you know, a lot of people take selfies, right? And then some mm-hmm. people, such as myself, will take selfies that I then make into art or I... I, I think I'm like undecided if I that original selfie is an art or not is art or not um, or if it's just the, the what I then make it into that when I and say that's art. Right. So I think there I think that's part of it. It's like because because I mean there are and then what people would say is you know everyone's taking selfies. What makes a selfie? Um, does can anything make a selfie art or or not or what does define it? And I mean. I think there are, I guess in the end, it maybe it's just the conceptual framework for it or the aesthetic qualities of it. Um, so there can be lots of people could say that are artists who are doing selfies, but we might not consider it good art or maybe it is right. good art. I don't know. What do you think? Right. No, I think, um, I think it's a really good question because then we could also think about, well, what about like, you know, when... Um, a kid takes a selfie of themselves and they're just, you know, mm-hmm. like my son, when he gets my phone mm-hmm. and he says he's taking a picture of me, he'll take like 50 of himself and he thinks he's hilarious. <laughs> and um, I That's look so at those great. pictures and I love them and I think they're hilarious, but I wouldn't necessarily look at them and be like, this is art and this is my son's self-portrait. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But but I don't know why I would say that. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. I think kind of that, that switch from object to art yeah. is kind mm. of different for everybody. Um, mm. You know, because there's a part of me that's like, well, mm. if Marcel Duchamp can take a urinal and flip it mm. over and write a word on it and say it's art, exactly. then why isn't someone's likeness, even if it's an accidental photo, why mm-hmm. why isn't that art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in some ways we've, we have prevented so much opportunity by kind of bogging down the definition and, you know, and I, I say this even just when I, when I used to very actively, well, even not even just when I was teaching, mm-hmm. working at a museum where we show a lot of abstract art, mm-hmm. um, yeah. there, people still come to it with this pretty strict preconceived notion that art needs to have one of these things. It needs to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. It needs to show technical prowess on behalf Mm -hmm. of the maker, or at the very least, it needs to show that someone spent a lot of time and effort making it. (laughs) Well, who on earth made up these rules and why are they there? And they continue to kind of dictate these things. So even Mm -hmm. as we talk about a selfie, um, Mm -hmm. my mind kind of instantly goes back to, well, they didn't take that extra step of Mm -hmm. cropping it or changing Mm -hmm. the lighting. And so Mm -hmm. in that sense, you know, and -hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe it is the correct way to think about it so that we can have some distinguishing characteristics, because I do want to recognize artists and art as a research field, you know, I, 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 You know, so I want to recognize that I don't necessarily yes. want to have the sweeping everything is art because then right. that does take away from what artists are doing. <laughs> yes, it does. I it think does, I'm saying it, 10 different points at once. No, <laughs> no, no. I think that's so well. I mean, I think I think you're totally right. And that's the that's the challenge is like it feels like in a way you want to be able to say, yes, it is. If you want it to be, it can be. But then at the same time, you don't want everything to be it because then it because then art is just everything and there's nothing that defines right. art or makes it exactly. like a special experience so right. but then it's hard but then it is also hard to be to say oh well this is and this isn't 
because it feels right. mean, right? It just feels kind of mean if someone's like, yeah. But I guess that's when you go back to like the, well, it's it's good art or bad art. You know, it's not my taste in art or something. Right, right. Yes. Or yeah, or it goes, I mean, you know, part of the reasons why I love working at an art museum and mm-hmm. in particular when I have the chance to give a tour is that mm-hmm. no matter when the artwork was created, it continues to be this living, breathing mm-hmm. thing because yeah. no matter who looks at mm-hmm. it, they come to it with a different point of view. And, okay. you know, while, while, we care absolutely what the artist meant and said and what the historical context was and what their life was when they made the work. There's also a whole other layer, Mm. multiple layers that keep kind of adding to it, creating all of these layers of meaning every time a new person comes to it. Um, And that's what I think is really exciting and why I think older art continues to be relevant because there's still Mm. new people coming and sharing ideas with it. So, so my point Mm. being, Mm. Maybe I don't see my son's thousand selfies in a row as art, but that doesn't necessarily mean it prevents someone else from looking at it Mm -hmm. and saying, no, I think it's art. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I love this field. Yes. Yeah. It's like, well, and then if you were to, (laughs) yeah, right. And then if you were to put those in a museum, Right. You know, then then I guess they would be art. I mean, museums are very well, powerful in that way, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, context is can absolutely change something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Um, please name some female artists you're excited about and why. Um, oh goodness. Um I well, I'm gonna say an Arizona artist because I'm in Arizona. So Annie Lopez, um, I'm actually working with her on an exhibition for 2024. So Annie Lopez, Mm -hmm. um, she's a Phoenix-based artist and um, she was actually um, selected for, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the National Museum of Women and the Arts, by I think it's a biennial show that they do called Women to Watch. Um, so this National Museum of Women in the Arts, they've um, made great efforts to kind of make chapters in different states. I don't think all 50 states yet have their own chapters, but basically each state chapter proposes a handful of artists for the Women to Watch exhibition. And then, you know, NIMWA ends up picking which one that they want to bring their work into the exhibition. Well, Annie Lopez was picked as, as mm-hmm. one, unfortunately it was 2020 or 2021. And so mm-hmm. um, the physical exhibition didn't happen, which is such a shame mm-hmm. because her art is so physical. Um, I love her work. She started off mm-hmm. um, in photo and she's moved into cyanotypes and she, so she still does photos in cyanotypes, but she also works with tamale paper. So she buys tamale paper at the grocery store and then she literally sews because she's also a seamstress. She sews dresses um, and other garments. And so it turns into this really three dimensional view of her work. So it's not only the combination of text and imagery, but it's also the photo process. And then there's all the symbolism you can think about with the tamale paper. And then a lot of the, um, 
patterns she uses for her clothing are sort of based on 1950s clothing. And so, mm. you know, where that adds a whole other layer of meaning. Wow. Um, and a lot of the imagery she uses is from her own life. So a lot of her work is very much exploring her family's history in Arizona that, you know, that goes back generations. And I just think she's, I think she's doing so much with her work. Um, and she's also a very hands-on artist with exhibitions. You know, she'll usually do a workshop and really kind of engages with the public. Um, so, so I'm very excited to work with her. So I also cool. love um, Analia Saban. Um, she is based in Los Angeles. She's originally from um, Buenos Aires and she works with materials. And I don't know like a better way to say it, but she's, she's like a materials investigator. So just as one example, she'll, she'll buy a painting at a thrift store and fully deconstruct it. So she'll completely uh, undo the canvas thread by thread. Cause she kind of investigates, like we talk about paintings and we, you know, she even brought this up with, you know, we had her out to speak a couple of years ago and she brought this up with woman ochre. And she's like, it's fascinating to think about all of this history and all of the mania behind mm -hmm. the rediscovery of this painting. And what is it really? It's really just mm -hmm. paint and canvas. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yes, you're right. And so th <laughs> these are kinds of the, the questions that she asks that Interesting. seem simple in a way, but they're, they're actually really profound. Um, mm -hmm. And then of course she does really interesting sculptures and installations with these materials that she's mm -hmm. investigating. Um, so I think her work is really incredible too. That's yeah, really so those cool. are just wonderful. Thank you. My head. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to add or say or anything? Um, I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to learn more about AI. That much I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think um, all the questions you ask are such good questions, and I really liked hearing. Um, the previous speakers on your podcast and seeing how you're able to use a consistent set of questions, <laughs> but they're broad enough and good enough that you're, you're able to get such a wide variety of uh -huh. interpretations and perspectives. You know, I think that's, uh -huh. I think it's a really interesting approach cool. to your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I was, yeah. I, I've been, it's been fascinating to hear how, yeah, how everyone answers differently. And then it also, it feels to me like it's a slice of time, a slice of life, I guess, a, a time in the life of the tra trajectory of women in art. So it feels like, I feel like I'm kind of just trying to almost even just report on it, which feels like the, um, this, the the repetition of the questions feels nice. Although since my mom yeah. gave me that hard time, I'm like, oh, maybe I have to rethink it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. No, but, I don't know. It's a thought provoking question. I think it's a good, good. one. Okay, good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I'll tell my mom. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. It was awesome to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for your openness and like you were, I really appreciate you. You're just so thoughtful about the questions and really oh, in them and responding yeah. to them. So thank you. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that is all. Have a great rest of your okay. day. And I look thank forward you. to thank you. Thank you so much for having later. me. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. This has been the Women as an Art podcast hosted by me, Leah Schroeder. 
please visit womenasanart.com for more information and to find us on socials. Thanks.